Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. You know, there's a great story told about the late comedian Jack Benny, who as a young man started to work in a film company in Hollywood. Well, while there, he saw this young woman who caught his eye. However, as an innately shy person, he didn't have the courage to approach her, much less ask her out on a date. So he decided that he would go to a florist and send her a rose every day. So this fortunate young woman starts receiving a rose every day. No name attached, no letter, no card, just a rose every day. Well, she eventually prodded the florist who told her that Jack had been sending the roses. Well, they talked and he asked her out. The day after the first date, she got another rose. And the day after that, and after that, and after that, and finally they got engaged, and surely she thought the roses would stop coming, but she was wrong. Up until the wedding, a rose came to her door every day. As they were on their honeymoon, she just assumed the roses would now stop. Well, she assumed wrong. Even then, every day a rose. Well, after they returned home, much to her amazement, a rose would come from her husband every day. Now, this went on year after year after year of marriage. A red rose, no card, no letter, no explanation, just a red rose every single day. Well, many years, decades went by, and then one day Jack Benny died. She was now a widow, but yet the roses kept coming, even after his funeral. Well, finally, she called the florist and said, there must be a mistake. My husband is dead. Why are these roses still coming? The florist responded, no, ma'am, there's no mistake. Your late husband made a provision in his will for the roses to keep coming even after he died. What a story. A simple thing, yet so full of meaning. This man wanted his wife to know that he loved her. Though love involves a lot more than a rose at your door every day, there's no doubt. But this woman greatly appreciated this constant token of her husband's love. Now, I use the word token intentionally for however nice that all these roses were, they were tokens. I mean, if he had been abusing her, if he had been cheating on her, if he had been unkind to her, then those roses would have sent a different message. Their thorns would have pricked her fingers every time she opened the door and took them. No question, they were only tokens. Tokens of something so much deeper something so much more lasting, so much more real than just a flower. Now, with this story in mind, we're going to open our Bibles in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God shows his love for us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You know, in many ways, I can hardly think of a Bible text that so clearly and so simply catches the essence of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to claim the promises that we find inherent in the Bible. How simple, yet how profound. Let me paraphrase it for us. While we are entangled and entrapped in our lusts, our pride, our envy, our greed, our violence, our evil surmising, our jealousy, our racism, our foul words, our ungratefulness, our mercilessness, Jesus died on a cross for us. Can you see the difference? You see, God loves us no matter what. Whether we're sinners or saints, whether we are fallen or unfallen, he loves us. And because he loves us so much, he went to the cross for us. Because, and I stress the word because, we are so incapable of doing anything to get ourselves out of the miserable situation that we are in. And so Jesus died for us. Talk about an expression of love. Now, I, I'm not going to use the word token here because the last thing the cross is, is a token of love. It's not a token of anything. But like those red roses that arrived every day, there is a knock on our door. And every day Jesus is standing there with an expression of his love for us. Not with a red rose, not even with a bouquet of roses, not even a whole field of roses, but with the truth. The revelation of his love for us expressed by the cross. A perfect and holy God becoming part of his own creation and then dying because the sins of his creation. Look at verse 7 of Romans 5, the, the, the text before the one we just read. Romans chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Let me show you what it says in the book Testimonies for the Church, volume 2, page 212, paragraph 1. When men and women can more fully comprehend the magnitude of the great sacrifice which was made by the majesty of heaven in dying in man's stead, then will the plan of salvation be magnified and reflections of Calvary will awaken tender, sacred, and lively emotions in the Christian's heart. Praises to God and the Lamb will be in their hearts and upon their lips. Pride and self-esteem cannot flourish in the hearts that keep fresh in memory the scenes of Calvary. This world will appear of but little value to those who appreciate the great price of man's redemption, the precious blood of God's dear Son. All the riches of the world are not of sufficient value to redeem one perishing soul. Who can measure the love of Christ felt for a lost world as he hung upon the cross, suffering for the sins of guilty men? This love was immeasurable, infinite. And then on page 213, paragraph 1, it says, Considering at what an immense cost our salvation has been purchased, 
What will be the fate of those who neglect so great salvation? What will be the punishment of those who profess to be followers of Christ, yet fail to bow in humble obedience to the claims of their Redeemer, and who do not take the cross as humble disciples of Christ and follow him from the manger to Calvary? He that gathers not with me, says Christ, scatters abroad. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How did we become sinners? Where did lust, greed, and envy, and pride come from? How did they enter into the picture? Well, when I read my Bible, I read that a perfect God created a perfect creation. He created sinless beings without a taint of sin or evil in them. There was no lust, no greed, no pride, no envy in Eden after it had been created. Yet, look at the world today. It is filled with these horrible things. How did they get here? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, beginning down at verse 15, here's what we read. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. Of course, these are texts we are so familiar with that we can sometimes miss what is there. Now, I don't doubt that for thousands of years, forests have been felled to make all the paper needed for the various sermons and homilies on these verses. But there's one specific point I want to look at here. First, let me give you an example of, of my dog, Dexter, who we just had to put down. He was a very loyal dog, very loving, very eager to please. We had Dexter for almost 16 years. And that time, we had to give him sometimes some severe warnings. You know, keep him in line. He had to be told in no uncertain terms to be quiet, not to soil the carpet, you know, not to chew the furniture, don't bite the neighbor's kids, not to eat food off the dinner table, and so forth. Now, sometimes Dexter would listen. Well, other times he wouldn't. But this is the point. See, I never had to say to Dexter, Dexter, don't read the sports section of the paper until I do. Dexter, don't make any long-distance phone calls while I'm at work. Dexter, no more downloading 10-gigabyte files off the Internet. Why not? Well, the answer is obvious. Dexter was utterly incapable of doing any of those things. Therefore, we never had the need to say, Dexter, don't do that. It would have been the essence of redundancy to have done so. Now, look back at Eden. Look at Adam, the perfection of Eden. Adam, before the fall, is given a very specific prohibition. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of all the other trees, you may freely eat. Notice, freely eat. The Hebrew here does not have the adverb freely. Instead, the verb comes in a form which the verb is expressed twice in two different ways, which is common in, in, in Hebrew to express emphasis. So it's like 
freely, truly, certainly you may eat of the other trees. But of that tree, you may not eat of it. Now, what is implied here? It is implied that Adam had been given the freedom to eat of that tree. If the freedom had not been given, there would have been no need to have bothered telling him, correct? It's the same reason we never said to Dexter, don't read the paper. Yet God had to tell Adam specifically not to eat of that tree. Why? Well, I think the answer is obvious. And it can be found in a quote from one of America's most famous patriots and founders, Thomas Jefferson. It was written as the preamble of what he considered one of the greatest accomplishments, the Bill for Establishing Religious Freedom. The year was 1779, and it involved a very simple issue, the use of tax dollars to promote religion. Now, this is what Thomas Jefferson wrote. God hath created the mind free. All attempts to influence it by temporal punishments or burdens or by civil incapacitation tend only to beget habits of hypocrisy and meanness and our departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion, who being Lord both of body and mind, yet chose not to propagate it by coercion on either as was in his almighty power to do. In other words, Jefferson said that from the beginning, God has given human beings free choice, free will, freedom of religion. Like even knowing beforehand that humans would sin, he gave them the freedom to do it anyway. Like it would be one thing if he didn't know, if he merely took a chance, but God knew even before the fall, he knew what freedom of choice, what that would bring. And what that tells me is that God cares about freedom, that God cares about liberty, that God cares about free choice, even to the point that he was willing to go to the cross rather than deny us our free choice. Remember, sin is a deviation from God's law, from God's will. How could that exist if we did not have the freedom to begin with? The mere existence of sin itself implies the concept of freedom to begin with. Now, of course, sin itself does not lead to freedom, and I'm not saying that it does. On the contrary, sin leads to slavery and death. But let's get behind the concept of sin. What does its existence imply? What had there to be before sin so sin could exist? Now, have you ever heard of a computer that has consciously rebelled against its user? Although this AI stuff is looking pretty scary in some respects. But as of now, as of right now, I don't know if any computer can do that that can consciously rebel against its creator. They aren't made in the way to allow that. In other words, they don't rebel because they can't. Now, let me bring up a question. And I've had people ask me this. 
Why didn't God make humans incapable of sinning? After all, if all of the problems in the world are the result of greed and hatred and maliciousness and violence and immorality and lies, why didn't God make us to start out with in such a way that we could never make a mistake? And when I hear that comment, I recognize what they're doing. And really what's happening here is they're blaming God. You see, God didn't make us the right way to start out with. If he had done it right to start out with, we wouldn't have the problems. God, once again, he gets the blame. But let me tell you why God made us the way he made, he made us. God made us to be free moral agents to be able to make a choice. The reason he gave us free moral choice was to be able to choose between right and wrong, good and evil. He loved us. That's why. He gave us free will. And the cross of Christ is the price that God paid to give you and me a free will. You think about that. That's the truth. You know, we're always complaining about our problems, but, but we never realize and we don't stop to think enough about how much God suffered. Now, I don't think we'll ever understand it in all the ages of eternity, how much it has cost God to give us free will to make us the way we really are. So what am I saying? I'm saying that sin came because we were made in the way that allowed it to come. What had to exist before sin came? Freedom. Freedom had, not that freedom demanded that sin come. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, had God not created the mind free, then there would have been no sin. The mere existence of sin proves the existence of freedom. And not just any kind of freedom. Moral freedom. Because sin is a moral issue. And it could only exist if there was moral freedom. Think how crucial freedom must be to the Lord that he would give it to us, knowing full well where it would lead. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God knew beforehand that if he made us, we would sin. That is, if he made us free, we would sin. And yet, despite that knowledge, he made us anyway, knowing ultimately it would lead him to the cross. You know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What this passage tells us is that somewhere back in eternity, at the very beginning of all of eternity, if we can even imagine that, there was an agreement struck between the Father and the Son that should sin ever arise anywhere in all of God's universe, that the Son of God would come to that place 
And there he would make a sacrifice for the redemption of that world, wherever it might be. This agreement was eternal. It was kept as a secret. It was hidden. It was not revealed what God intended to do until it was needed. And then God brought it out. So when I look at the cross, when I envision in my mind the Son of God suffering under the weight and guilt of the sins of the world, sin that came because God deemed our freedom too sacred to take away, I see God shouting no to all of those who dare to use force or coercion to get religious conformity. No to the dungeon, to the stake, to the rack, to the inquisition, to all the Protestants and Catholics or anyone who in time past or in time present uses force to promote Christianity. What the cross shows is that God himself refused to force people to obey him. Thus, how dare any of us try to force people to obey him? Can you see the point? I mean, no wonder we care about religious liberty. It's found at the center of our faith, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. Thus, we care about religious freedom because we know God cares about it. God did not create us free only to have some earthly power come along and quash that freedom. This is why I'm so thankful to America's founders and the vision of religious liberty they had. Sure, we know that they did not understand it all. We know they had blind spots. We know, without any question, they made some big mistakes. No question. But yet, amid a world that for centuries had only known nothing, had known nothing of religious liberty, nothing of freedom of conscience, for these people to envision and attempt to form the basis of an entire nation on the principles of religious freedom is a remarkable achievement. And we, we enjoy the fruits of this achievement here today. As I present this message without the fear of reprisal, without the fear of police taking me away because the state doesn't like my theology or theology period. Many of us take it for granted because it's all we've ever known. But all over the world, we have brothers and sisters who go to church just as many as, just like many of us do, read the same Bible we do, sing some of the same hymns we do, worship the same God we do, believe many of the same doctrines as we do, yet in the back of their mind, there is this fear there's a tendency to look over their shoulders, a little concerned that when they walk out that door, they might meet a few officers of the state who will say to them, come with us, and then shove them into a back of a van, leading them to a hell on earth many of us can't even imagine. Yes, I believe in religious freedom, religious liberty, but freedom itself is not cheap. It came with a price. When we look at the cross, we can see just how expensive and costly freedom is. Yet the Lord believed it was worth it. And if God believed it, 
How could you or I believe anything else? And it was worth it because we have a God who loves us, who gave us freedom, and who, because we are sinners, died for us. A God who stands at the door and knocks, and if we open, we will see a glimpse of a love so much deeper, so much more profound, so much more lasting than anything we could ever ourselves convey. Even with a rose at the door every day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the freedom that you have placed within us, the freedom to choose, the freedom to express ourselves, the freedom to worship you. Father, bless our nation. Allow these freedoms to remain. We think of those that do not have these freedoms, Father. Please comfort and strengthen them and be close to them. In fact, bless each and every viewer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that time in our program that we call the book offer. And uh, what we do at this time of the program is we make a resource available to you, a book, a magazine, or some resource that will, I hope, be an impetus for you to either begin studying the Word of God or to continue studying the Word of God. And what we have for you today is a special edition of the Signs of the Times magazine. This one is called God's Final Message. We'd love to send this to you. It is, you know, it's, 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 it's short, but it's a great study tool and uh, with a lot of biblical references that encourage you to study, open your Bible and see exactly what God's final message is to the world because I believe we're living in the final days of Earth's history. If you'd like to receive this as a gift, no obligation whatsoever on your part, you're never going to receive an invoice for it, then pay close attention to the information we're about to provide you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. Thank you so much for watching couple of things before we go I want to remind you of, the website being one of them, l4ltv.com. All of our previous programs are accessible through the website. We have uh, something I call archived sermons, different lectures I've done around the country on different topics. You'll see the topic listed. There's a video you can watch. Then there's a PDF uh, lesson study you can download. Hey, check those out. And I hope again that those will be an impetus to you to get you studying the Word of God. Follow me on uh, Instagram, Santos underscore Bill. Every morning, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, I put out a, a short video devotional. Check that out. Great way to get your day started. I also want to ask you to uh, 
Check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash L4L television. We also have another website called Mission Now Canada. That's the overseas work. Check that one out, missionnowcanada.com. Maybe you'll join us on an upcoming trip. God bless you. We hope to be back again next time. We look forward to having you with us. We'll see you then.